0: We start with rise because having that ideal stress environment is critical to success, and there are so many elements to that. But there is a belief by some that stress is is a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing. It's just when it's too much, when it's chronic, or where it's too intense, because when that happens, you know the way our brains respond when we're stressed, we'll get a a boost of adrenaline norepinephrine that allows us to focus we can really you know perform at a high level for a period of time but with that comes another chemical called cortisol that starts to coat the fight flight or freeze part of your brain right and when that cortisol layer gets thick you can't access your prefrontal cortex where you solve problems you can't access the parts of your brain where you have memory or where you regulate emotions so imagine an employee who can't problem solve can't regulate their emotions, can't find their memories. Is that gonna be an ideal employee? Clearly not. So we have to understand how stress works in order to manage it appropriately.
1: Welcome to Passion and Profits Without Burnout. I'm your host, Jacob Moore. I'm a speaker, coach, childhood suicide loss survivor, and filmmaker who left Hollywood to follow my heart of service. I've helped tens of thousands of people find the balance in their life between passion and profits. On the show, I'm going to teach you how to build a trauma-responsive, resilient, and impactful community and organization all without burning out. Let's get started. Well, hello, Mike. Thank you so much for joining me on Passion and Profits Without Burnout. Mike, we've known each other for many years now. You have been involved with No Stigmas, and you are, um, dare I say, prolific in the mental health space, suicide prevention space. Um, You've done so much good work over the past decade or so, and uh, I'm just really honored to have you on the show. So thanks for being here.
0: Yeah, I'm really happy to be here and really appreciate the invitation.
1: Of course. So prior to your work in the mental health space, you were... I think I can fairly say uh, you're a corporate veteran. You worked in management in, uh, in corporate America for many years and um, came out with, I think, some really valuable lessons that um, you've shared with the No Stigmas community and uh, other communities um, as well. In particular, this program affectionately called Rise, Aim, Soar. So uh, can you give our, our listeners sort of just an overview of what RISE AIM SOAR is before we get into this first segment, RISE.
0: Yeah, so RISE AIM SOAR is really an approach to workplace mental health that recognizes that businesses need to have an understanding of why workplace mental health of their employees is important. They need to understand how to manage stress within those environments to optimize their employees' performance and their mental health. And they need to know how to make adjustments uh, for the individuals within their organization and a lot of this was driven by both my mental health uh, research and background and work i've done in that area but also individual experiences i had with either being managed as somebody who struggled with depression or managing large numbers of employees who had kind of the whole range of mental health either diagnoses or attributes that were undiagnosed and learning from experience, making mistakes, and uh, in many cases, doing things the right way.
1: Yeah, Mike, I had a lot of similar issues in the corporate space as well. Before I started No Stigmas and subsequently Five Bridges, I worked in sales, and it was a, a pretty toxic environment. Uh, one where um, certainly, you know, there was this uh, this environment of, of toxic masculinity and this idea of being pushed to um, just swallow down uh, what I was experiencing for the sake of the bottom line, for the sake of more sales. Um, my office incidentally was at the uh, Board of Trade in uh, Chicago. Um, and even though we were not in that industry, that environment that was there, um, it's it's stereotypical and it's also pretty accurate. Um, and that, that really led me to Want to change that that environment? Um, having to hide anxiety and mask depression for the sake of making a paycheck um, certainly was not um, not conducive to you know to a healthy environment for me. So, what I want to set out to do during this episode, Mike, is answer the question: How can managers create a mentally healthy work environment? So. RISE, AIM, SOAR are acronyms. Can you um, tell us what those acronyms stand for?
0: So we start with RISE, which is run an ideal stress environment. Uh, Then AIM is how to adjust for individual minds and SOAR is strengthen your operations and results and really kind of the outcome of doing the first two pieces. Uh, So we start with RISE uh, because having that ideal stress environment is critical to success. And there are so many elements to that, uh, but there is a belief by some that stress is, is a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing. It's just when it's too much, when it's chronic, or where it's too intense, uh, because when that happens, uh, you know the way our brains respond, when we're stressed, we'll get a, a boost of adrenaline, norepinephrine that allows us to focus. We can really you know perform at a high level for a period of time. But with that comes another chemical called cortisol that starts to coat the fight, flight, or freeze part of your brain. And when that cortisol layer gets thick, you can't access your prefrontal cortex where you solve problems. You can't access the parts of your brain where you have memory or where you regulate emotions. So imagine an employee who can't problem solve, can't regulate their emotions, can't find their memories. Is that going to be an ideal employee? Clearly not. we have to understand how stress works in order to manage it appropriately.
1: Absolutely, I really appreciate that, Mike. And um, you know what we're talking about here is is being aware of and compassionate around uh, the challenges that people face. I think traditionally, um, employees were seen as, um, you know, almost this um, akin to um, indentured servants where, you know, I'm paying you money. So therefore you, you do what I tell you to and how you feel about it or, you know, what shows up in your life is really inconsequential because, um, after all I'm, I'm giving you money and that's enough for you to just, just do what I tell you to. And, and clearly we've discovered that that is not, um, only okay, but, um, it's not the most, uh, Really, the most efficient way of achieving what we want to in in the work environment. Um, so, in uh, this episode, we're going to um, talk about these these three areas of um, workplace uh, mental health and wellness, and we'll we'll go on to talk about um, aim adjusting for individual minds and soar. Um, this idea of um, really optimizing the results. Um, But for now, focusing on um, this idea of RISE, running ideal stress environment, what does that look like? Can you um, maybe start with an example of of an experience that you had in the corporate space and managing someone um, to create this ideal stress environment for
0: them? Yeah, so probably a great example of that would have been you know doing the work that i used to do in in the investor relations field and then running right from that environment into a crisis when we had the deep water gulf of mexico oil spill you know i was prepared to handle a couple of months of working at a really intense you know 70 80 hour a week pace but at the end of that you know normally i'd have a little bit of recovery time uh, so that my body and my mind could you know get refocused on the other parts of the work, but we went right into another, what became a national crisis uh, that our the company I was working for was, was involved in. And I just never had that recovery time. And I could tell as we were going through this that my ability to function at a high level was de- deteriorating as time went on. I've also had that experience as a manager where you could see an employee really, you know, working really intensely on a project getting through getting it complete and what i noticed over time was that you needed to give them a break then and it wasn't just a break of you know come in at nine o'clock instead of seven tomorrow it's you need time to recover to heal to physically recover uh and that makes a difference you know because stress is on a continuum if there's too little stress that's bad for employees uh, as well, and too much is bad for employees. So you also can't give an employee work that just bores them. Because when they're bored, they're checked out that creates its own level of stress, they don't feel like they're connected to anything that matters. Uh That's That has a level of stress on its own of you know, someday they're going to figure out that I'm doing nothing that means anything, or I feel useless because what I'm doing has no meaning to me. And I can't see how it connects to what we're trying to accomplish.
1: Absolutely. So, so Mike, when we sort of drill down into the practical application of this, how do you go about assessing what the needs are of, you know, particular employee or of, you know, for the, the culture of a group so that you truly understand what those needs are?
0: Yeah, well, I think it really starts with, uh, with understanding what you're doing organizationally, and it can be something as simple as understanding. am I, am I appropriately recognizing people? We know from research that well-performing organizations, people are hearing praise three times as often as they're getting constructive criticism Hmm. in the top performing organizations. It's more like a six to one ratio. Wow For many employees, they're negative they're getting way more negative than they are positive. Uh, and there are two reasons that that matters. One is it's it's soul destroying to just be told you're wrong all the time or you're not doing enough. The other is if you don't tell people what they're doing well, they start to question whether that's what you want them to do and they stop doing the things that you were happy with. So you need to you need to make sure you build that in. There's also a lot of other organizational basics that really tie into the ability of employees to feel good. A big part of that is is goals, having organizational goals and personal goals that are aligned. Because if you know that what you're doing affects the outcome of the organization, you can take on more work. You can work with more purpose, more passion than if you don't see how those things connect. Uh, So getting those goals aligned and clearly communicated is a big deal. Having accountability is really important. Uh, So, you know, employees, well, frankly, all of us as humans, we need three things. We need to be noticed, we need to be cared for, and we need to be relied on. If there's no accountability in the organization, then we know we're not being relied on. Um, Collaborative problem solving, another key piece. People feel invested in implementing solutions that they help create. You know, this is something, you know, I also do a lot of youth and youth mental health training. And one of the things we talk about there is you you want to inform young adults on how they can help their mental health. And this is true for adults as well, but you can't solve the problem for them, right? You can give them tools, you can teach them skills, but, you know, and in an organization if you're just getting dictates from on high and you have no investment in in how that problem is getting solved you just aren't going to be able to implement with the same kind of passion um you know and the, you you mentioned earlier that uh, uh the organization you worked in had that kind of toxic male do 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 suffer yeah. suffer suffer you know that and, and the problem is that can work for a while maybe 6 months maybe 12 months yeah you know, if you're in a real crisis phase and it's an organization, you can kind of shun aside people's personal feelings for a very short period of time, but it is not sustainable. Yeah. And people who manage in that style will, ha- will look and say, hey, I saw that one period of time that it worked and not realize that it worked only in those circumstances and it's not going to continue to work.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And to affirm that, Mike, I ended up lasting a little over a year um, in that organization, because it it wore me down. And I, I think that happens and you know, I, I admittedly have been guilty of that um, in my own organizations um certainly, the ratio of uh, of praise to criticism, um, you know, it's it's easy to lose sight as a manager of, you know, the fact that you are working with people and, needing to be aligned with that mission that you're all working towards, um, sometimes just wanting to get stuff done. So how, how as managers do we put checks and balances in place so that we ensure that we are hitting that ratio and that we're giving people what they need, um, being noticed, being cared for, being relied upon, and really coming together under one mission with aligned
0: goals? Yeah, I I think it really starts with managers understanding it's in their best interest to do it. Mm -hmm. Because it, you know, and one of the reasons we do a lot of training for management staff is because they need to understand how this is positive for them and how getting their employees engaged is really going to drive better results that make them look better. Yeah, Uh, which ultimately, you know, that self-motivation does play a role in people's decisions to do it. Uh, so helping them understand that this is a big piece of it, and then really as a manager, you have to make it part of your personal goals that you're going to be engaged in this kind of work, that you're going to focus on training, coaching, career development. And maybe, you know, there are certainly jobs within an organization where there's not really a career t- track, it's ju- it's just a job. Sure. Uh, but how do you make that just a job as meaningful as possible? How do you make sure you appreciate those people mm-hmm. uh, and let them know, you know, this may not feel fulfilling because you can't see how it directly aligns with the goals. But if you don't do what you're doing, then we can't, we can't do what we're doing. You know, if your security right. uh, personnel understand that if we're not safe, we can't do the rest of our work. So we really appreciate what you do to keep us safe for your, you know, environmental uh, folks to recognize that, you know, part of working and being respected in today's world yeah. is that we comply with the laws and we go in above and beyond when we can. Letting them know, hey, what you do is part of what allows us to be able to do everything else that maybe we can you can more directly see. So it's, it's just being aware of each person's need to feel like they they make a difference and taking the time to think through, how does this role make a difference? And if you can't find that, chances are you don't need that job. Sure. If you can't figure out why that person's valuable to your organization's success, then you really need to think, do I really need that role? Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I appreciate that. This reminds me of a recent conversation that I had with Jason Howard, who is the uh, head of compliance at Tegas. And um, he he was talking about uh, this idea that you know like policies and regulations aren't sexy. it's it's not something that's really fun. but he's managed to build this huge you know this thriving team um, who works synergistically on this you know sort of what other people may see as boring because he really helps them align with the understanding that what they do, is imperative to the operations of the organization, to customer service, to the security of, you know, the organization as a whole, and makes them understand how important their role is. Um, and I think that that's a really valuable lesson there, um, Mike. If you could share maybe a more, you know, tactical approach to this, um, you know, once we sort of have that awareness of okay, this is in my best interest. Um, This is what we need to do in order for organizations and and employees to really um, thrive. Um, How can we sort of put that safeguard in place to make sure that it's happening, to make sure that we're following through on
0: that intention? Yeah, uh, having a really robust performance management system inside your company, or at least within your control, is really a key piece of that, because a good performance management system is going to incorporate that that training piece, the career development. How do we talk about where you want to go and what you need to develop? It's going to include regular conversation, hopefully on an ongoing basis. But, you know, if you can't do it, you know, as you go through every week, you know, at least on a quarterly or, you know, I think at least quarterly, but, uh, you know, cause you don't want to make it an annual discussion. If you make it an annual discussion, they're wondering for the last seven or eight months of the year, if right. there's any chance that they're being recognized at all. Yep. So, you know, if you're not having a conversation with somebody who reports to you at least monthly, you know, chances are you're not, you're not providing that kind of feedback that they need to know what they're doing well, mm-hmm. what you need them to take on. How do you set priorities? So of the 50 things i gave you to do what are the first five i really need you to do the next five you know because otherwise you're leaving it uh, to that employee to guess at what your priorities are so that clear communication is a big piece of it as well from a tactical standpoint it can come down to really just understanding what motivates this employee and you get to that through getting to know them personally as well and getting to understand what their objectives are. So the more you can align those objectives, uh, with, uh, with what the employee wants, the better. And just as an example, I'm thinking of, uh, an employee who worked for me that I put into a people management role. They did not do well in that role, hmm. but, I moved them back, you know, this was a really creative, hardworking person, but just didn't know how to interact with people effectively, moved them back into an individual creative role, uh, where their creativity there, they can control their time uh, that they worked. And you know, it's now been 14, 15 years, uh, and I've been long gone from the organization, but I see them success after success after success. because. I realized I had made a mistake in putting them in a role that they thought they wanted. But very quickly, we both realized that wasn't the right move. It just felt like that's what you had to do to advance. So, you know, how do we make you that high level individual contributor that you can excel at where you can do way more than you could ever have done as a manager?
1: That's that's really, I, I think probably, you know, a a humbling experience for a manager to go through that process of saying, Hey, I made a mistake and taking ownership of that and, and very necessary to do.
0: Yeah. And I made a mistake. And because of that, your performance wasn't good and your bonus isn't going to be nearly what you were hoping for. So I can't fix what happened because I had to pay for performance and the performance wasn't there in the role you were in. But clearly, you're a talented person. How do we get you in the role where you can really earn what you what you're worth? Zero in on uh, that. So, yeah. yeah, that was that was humbling for me. I know it hurt. It hurt both of us uh, because this was a talented person. But uh, you know, turns out that you know, we just made that course correction, and uh, they they're thriving now.
1: Mike and I, I want to you know commend you for that because the alternative could be you. Looking at their performance and saying they're doing a bad job and they're they're underperforming right. and therefore it's not my fault it's their fault and in that way um, you as the manager um, are the victim and um, and you can you can enter into that role and you can really embrace it and say you know it's it's them it's external forces it's something out of my control and you've gotten nowhere. But this idea of ownership and personal responsibility around that choice, um, I think is very important and
0: um, a valuable lesson. Well, and I've been on the other side of it. So I went through a period when I was working for a, a large food corporation. And at the time I was in the executive MBA program at the University of Chicago. I had two young kids. They decided once I started the executive program uh, to eliminate somebody else's job and have me do two full-time jobs reporting to two separate managers, uh, both of whom were comfortable as long as I worked at least 40 hours each for them. Right, And I i was not a good employee. I, I i was burnt out. I had nothing. By the time I got through a year of that, you know, I finished the MBA program. I actually did well at that. I graduated with honors. Hmm. But boy, I had nothing in the tank, and I, and I, I could tell the managers looking at me one of, and they're saying you're not performing at the level we expected. Well, right, of no. course not, and I can't. Oh, and by the way, my dad died. I had a sister in law die. I mean, there was all sorts of uh, tragedy that was piled into this. Yeah, and of course I wasn't going to perform well in that in that circumstance. Yeah, and so I always carried that with me. As I know what it's like to be on the other side of that, uh, so I never wanted to be in a position where I took somebody who had capabilities and just put them in a position where they were guaranteed to fail, right? And then didn't fix it if I made that mistake. Absolutely.
1: And I'm I'm going to venture to guess that um, you didn't really, you didn't probably didn't stay in that role or those roles very long, um, in in no. that uh, in that stress environment. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> so, uh, Mike, as we um, wrap up this idea of running ideal stress environments, what sort of a, a takeaway, a golden nugget that you would give listeners? And obviously, you know, the idea being here, like this is um, a, an overview of a you know very in depth training that you provide and digging into the Absolutely. actual skill sets of of you know, running this ideal stress environment. But um, what's something that someone can, can take today and actually implement in their organization and do, you know, right
0: now as a manager? Probably the best thing that I could recommend is, is when people get overly stressed and when that cortisol has flooded the brain and you need, and you can't think clearly, we need to have tools on how to de-stress our world. And there are a lot of those tools that could be taught in a corporate setting and not for profit setting governmental settings. You know, some of them are real simple, just teaching people how to do deep breathing exercises Mm -hmm. can be really powerful, just that ability to slow your body down. And when you when you slow your breathing, it tells your brain that you're not under stress, it allows you to access parts of your brain. We know yoga works, we know meditation, mindfulness training. Uh, there's research showing that prayer focused on other people can be, can be very useful taking walks in nature was kind of my healing. Cause it was almost meditative for me. Mm-hmm. Plus I got the endorphin release from that being outside, uh, from walking the vitamin D from getting that sunlight exposure, which is so critical to yep. even being able to have positive brain chemistry. Yep. So, you know, teach some of those de-stress skills, You know some of it can be nutrition related relieving financial stresses yeah making employees more aware of the employee assistance programs and how those can work uh, for organizations that have those but i think just making time you know once a month once a quarter to say we're going to bring in somebody to teach you a coping skill this may or may not be the right one for you but if we teach several of them you're going to find something meaningful something yep and it and even normalizing the idea that when you have a stressful meeting, why don't you go take a walk for a bit, you know, and then come back and you can get back to work. But you need time to kind of think this through and yeah. and for some people, you know, going straight from this was an intense meeting to I'm supposed to sit down and get back to work can be overwhelming.
1: Yeah, and I and I think, you know, it's important to teach those skill sets and then to actually give someone the time and space to implement them and and taking that responsibility as a leader to say, you know, part of creating that ideal stress environment is actually creating the space for these approaches and that feedback and the performance reviews and and things like
0: that. Yeah. And to your point, I don't know if you recall this particular one, but we did a, a training together for a company that was connected tangentially to the advertising industry. Yeah. And I distinctly remember one of the managers telling me, you know, when we're in crunch time, I don't let people leave the desk for the 12 hours up to deadline. They they have to be there and they just have to plow through. Uh. And I think both of our jaws hit the ground (laughs) because we knew it's impossible for somebody to be on a straight 12 hour high intensity crunch. No. They have to be able to get up, go to the bathroom, take a walk, just breathe a little bit, yep. move their legs, move their bodies uh, to get the blood flow and get the oxygen moving so they can even think. But, you know, there are people who approach it from the, if I drive them, it'll get done. Well, what they don't realize is it would have gotten done three hours sooner had yeah. you given some, them some time to relax and think along the way.
1: And the quality of work would have been arguably better as
0: well. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure.
1: Well, Mike, thank you so much. This is, this has been very insightful. Um, this first part, um, running ideal stress environments. I'm looking forward to talking with you more about the, um, second and third parts of this training, this idea of, you know, adjusting for individual minds and then, um, running those, um, uh, optimizing, um, as well, um, for, for the output. So thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. And, uh, we will see you in a little bit. Sounds good. Thanks so much for listening to Passion and Profits Without Burnout. I hope that you found some impactful takeaways. And if you did, I'd love to hear from you. Share a screenshot on your IG story, tag me, or send me a quick message. This show is for you, so any feedback is welcomed. Hey, and make sure you're also subscribed to the show so you don't miss any of our new episodes. And if you could, take a few minutes to leave me a five-star review. That'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks for listening, and be well.